In the name of Jesus, amen. Have you ever seen someone do something uh, just off or strange enough that you just have to shake your head and wonder why? Uh, maybe maybe because they've done something like totally wild and, and crazy and out there and you look at them and you wonder why. Um, I, I think some of you feel this way every time I get up here and I talk about running. <laughs> you just hear me talk about how much fun it is and how much I love it and you just shake your head and wonder why. Why would anyone like me do that for, for fun of, of all things? Or, or there's someone I know uh, who who not, not too rarely will order anchovies and uh, they'll put them on salads or eat them by themselves or on, on top of pizza. And I, I see that and I wonder why. I, I think, why is that even on the menu? Why is that a thing? Why is that an option? And why would anyone order that? Why? It, it seems kind of strange. Or one more example. Uh, some of you know that uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, we went on vacation out west and one of the places... Along the way, we stopped was Portland, Portland, Oregon. Uh, it was a cool city. I, I loved it. It's a little strange, though. Uh, it's a, kind of a weird place. And there's one thing that they do there that is awfully strange that got me asking why. You see, there's this group of people in Portland that about 15 years ago started taking bikes, but not like regular adult-sized bikes, little bikes, bikes almost for, for toddlers, tiny little bikes, bikes uh, from which they had removed the brakes, and they took these bikes, the adults got on these bikes, and they took them to the top of a hill in town where, where the zoo was located, and then they would get on these bikes, these little children's bikes, bikes without brakes, and they would bomb down the streets to the bottom of the hill, weaving through traffic, making their way past cars and pedestrians and other actual cyclists. This group came to be known as the, the zoo bombers because they would start at the zoo and bomb their way down a, a few miles to the bottom of the hill. And, and I heard about that in this tradition that's going on in Portland and I wondered why. I thought, why would anyone do that? Risk limb and life for uh, a few minutes of thrills. I thought, why? As, as I've uh, read about marriage this week, if I, as I've looked at the scriptures and, and many of the passages that talk about it, it, it occurred to me that, that someone, an outsider, maybe an, an alien from outer space looking down, might, might hear about marriage as we talk about it in our society today, as we portray it in our movies, in our TV shows, as we sing about it in our music. It, it occurred to me as I've been thinking about marriage this week that, that someone, an outsider, might, might hear everything that we're saying and, and talking about marriage and, and wonder why. <laughs> why would anyone want to be a part of that? Why would anyone choose to be in that kind of relationship? I mean, think about the way it's portrayed today. It's this relationship fraught with, with jealousy and, and anger, uh, affairs and and divorce. It, it, it's one in, in which people are fighting to be number one. Uh, now someone might wonder, why would anyone choose to be a part of that, the, the way that it's portrayed in our world today? And, and yet, as I read the Bible this, this week, I, I thought an outsider might also fairly enough ask, well, why would anyone choose to be a part of a Christian marriage? Or, or you might read the Bible and think, why does God so narrowly define and confine marriage? Why has God, around this wonderful gift, put all of these no's? Right, if you think about how, how the Bible describes marriage from, from Genesis chapter 1 and 2 all the way through to Revelation, we get this consistent picture of marriage and, and yet it's a, a, a picture in which God has confined it. He's, he's built some walls around it. He's surrounded it with no's, right? It's, it's this very 
Very narrow definition. God says it's, it's this lifelong union of a man and a woman, and, and he, he puts all these no's. He says that there is to be no end, no matter how tired of it you get, no, no matter how hard it is, that marriage is a relationship with no end. It, it's a relationship where there are no breaks. You don't get to hit pause for a few years and return to it at your convenience. It's a, a relationship in which there's no trial period. He doesn't say, why don't you check it out for six months or a year, and if, if you end up liking it, then stay with it. If not, and that's okay. He says it's a relationship with no third parties allowed in to, to ease the tension. He says it's, it's one that requires sacrifice and demands selfless humility. He says it's a relationship in which you will give and give and give and you're never to expect anything back in return. It, it's one, if, if you've been in a marriage, you might know, it, it tends to expose your deepest flaws and faults. Sometimes marriage holds up a mirror to your life and you see things about yourself that you never had noticed before. So, so someone might ask, an outsider peering in might wonder, well, why has God so narrowly defined and, and constrained and put all these no's around this gift, this beautiful gift? Well, um, here's how I would attempt to explain that without being able to exactly read the mind of, of God. Here's what I would say. How many of you here today have ever played dodgeball? Anyone here today play dodgeball? Gym class recess. Okay. Uh, dodgeball is an amazingly dangerous game, isn't it? <laughs> It's pretty wild that uh, gym teachers tell their students to pick up objects and hurl them at each other with the purpose of hitting each other. It's, it's amazing that this game is played. It, it is fraught with, with, with danger. And, and yet, in, in order to help the game out, in order to provide some protection, uh, protection there are some rules, right? There are con- some constraints. It's usually played within a gym or maybe a playground, a field. Uh, there are rules. You can't throw at the head or, or below the waist, now, uh, imagine, though, for a second that you, you, you just took away all the rules. <laughs> you said you can throw the ball anywhere, anytime, and we're going to take this, this game, this dangerous game, we're going to go play it on the highway or wherever the kids want to play with cars going 60, 70 miles per hour, right? All of a sudden, this, this dangerous hard game becomes a bloodbath. This game that almost always leads to some injury, some scrape, some bruise will almost certainly lead to death. Now, hear me out here. <laughs> I, I think that's kind of like marriage, in, in that God knew that marriage is hard, right? Marriage can be really difficult. You, you might even say that sometimes marriage can be dangerous. And, and yet for our good, in order to protect us, he put all of these constraints around it. He narrowly defined it and put all of these no's because he knew that within the confines that he has placed, that, that we actually find protection, that within the confines and the definition of marriage as he's given it to us, that, that we actually, if we would have eyes to see, would find freedom that is within the confines he set, that, that marriage, true marriage, is allowed to flourish and grow and, and be fruitful. Now, you still might be wondering, okay, that makes sense, but, but why would anyone choose to play that game, <laughs> that difficult game with all of those no's? Uh, why would anyone choose that if they could just easily avoid it and, and opt out? And, uh, to answer that question, I would like to take a look at, at this passage Uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, because I think this to me highlights the beauty and the joy and the purpose of marriage. Uh, This is what God says in Ephesians chapter 5. God says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I love this part. It says, this is Paul writing, single, unmarried Paul. This is a profound mystery, (laughs) He goes on to say, though, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Uh, you've all heard it said that a, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? 
Uh, there's some things you just have to see in order to grasp them, right? You, you can try to describe to someone either in spoken words through a conversation or, or in a letter, written words. You can try to describe to someone the majesty of a mountain, the vastness of the ocean, the, the beauty of a sunset, and, and you, can, you can understand what that might be like, but until you see it, either in a picture or, or face-to-face, you, you really uh, are missing out on something, a picture is worth a thousand years and uh, a thousand words. And, and what God is saying in Ephesians chapter 5 is, is that in our marriages, we get a picture of Jesus. That in our, our earthly marriages, we're taking a little bit of heaven and bringing them down here to earth. That in, that in our marriages, we are getting a glimpse, uh, a little taste of the love of God and, and the unity that we share with Jesus, that we get to embody and live out in marriage the, the very char- characteristics of our Creator. And so, for example, when a, a husband uh, spends all day working and then comes home at night and cooks a, a meal for his wife, even though he's tired, what he's doing is, is showing to her, giving her a picture, a glimpse of the sacrificial love of Jesus. It may seem like a small thing, but it's an eternal thing. He's taking a little bit of heaven, taking the abstract idea of, of this servant Jesus Christ, and he's, he's showing it to his wife in the here and now. The same thing when a, a wife goes out at 11.30 at night and fills up her, her husband's car with gas so that he can sleep in an extra 10 minutes in the morning. She, too, is, is taking this abstract idea about her servant Jesus and, and the sacrifice that he made, and he's, he's putting it, or she is putting it in the present. When a husband and wife walk through decades together, through better and worse, thick and then richer and poorer, sickness and health, they are reflecting to one another the union that Christ shares with us, his people. When, when they bring children into this world, they are reflecting the, the very characteristic of God, a, a creator God who loves life and promotes life and creates and, and sustains life. Earthly marriages are one of the places that, that we get a glimpse, a taste, uh, a picture of the love of God and unity with Jesus and the very characteristics of who our Creator is. Now, I want to point out something very important here. I want to clarify what I said. I I think I said it right, but I'm going to highlight it anyway. In in that marriage is one of the places that this happens. (laughs) But it's not the only place. So to those of you who are unmarried here, maybe you were, but you're not, or you never have been, please know that that, that just because you're not married doesn't mean you're, you're, you're missing out on the love of Jesus here and now. In fact, what God says throughout the Bible is that in all of our different vocations and callings, whether they be within our families or our friendships with our children or at work, that we, we all have opportunities both to reflect and to receive the love of Christ, to take that little piece of heaven and bring it down into the here and now. And, and so I'll close, I think, by saying one last thing, but I'll, I'll say it both to those who are unmarried without a spouse and to those who are married. To, to those who are unmarried, your identity does not come from, from a partner or, or by what box you check, married, divorced, single. But your identity comes from Jesus. And, and you are whole and complete and full in him. Now, you may long for a spouse, and I think that's natural, but, but please know that, that you are not half of someone without another half, that that you have everything in Christ alone and he is the source of your identity. When God looks down, he doesn't put us into camps like these are my my married children and these are my unmarried children. He just looks at you, at all of us here today and says, you, these are my beloved sons and daughters. And you see, much of that same message goes to those of us who are married, who, who do have a spouse. Our wholeness, our fullness, our completion does not come from another person, but from Jesus. 
and, and our identity comes from him too. What the Bible says is, is actually that our first love, our, our first priority is always to be Jesus. And, and to put that burden on another person, to say, you, my spouse, my husband, or my wife, must completely and fulfill me and, and make me whole, that is a burden that no one can actually carry. Only Jesus can. Because it's in Jesus that we see what true sacrificial servant-hearted love looks like. It's in Jesus that we see a God who gives and gives and gives and never expects to get anything back in return. It, it is in Jesus that we see that we have a God who has remained faithful and forgiving even through all of our affairs into sin. It is, it is in Jesus that we see true and everlasting love. In his name, amen.